Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. We want to welcome in any new listeners who are joining us for the very first time. We're happy to have you aboard, but for those of you who have been here from the start, you already know what the drill is. We live and die by this team just like the rest of you, and we make no apologies for that. I am Jason Kelly. I'm your host tonight, coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. You can find me on Twitter at Color of the Iris. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me tonight from the city of Reading, Pennsylvania, is Micah Storms. Micah, how you doing? I'm doing great. Good to see a, a series split there. So I think that was a, a good outcome for the Sox and heading in Atlanta. So that, that was good. Good to see. Yeah, and a pretty positive result for your first official show with us. So that's uh, that's pretty sweet as well. Um, where can people Most find definitely. you on Twitter? Um, I'm at Ballpark Buzz on Twitter. Awesome. And also joining us tonight from... Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine, is Terry Cushman. Terry, how's it going? Living the dream down here. We had a 91-degree day. I was going to go to the beach, but then decided not to. And then today I mowed my lawn. Is it is it lawn mowing season up in the north or no? Oh, it sure is. Yeah, okay. I, I got my, my first uh, mowing uh, today, actually. So, Is this yeah. your first time having to mow any property? Because you bought a house not too long ago. Yeah, I mean, I had to mow it like when I moved in last year because I moved in during the summer. So oh, okay. Yeah, so gotcha. I, I did it then. But apart from that, yeah, this is like the first time I've ever had to do it myself. So do you have a rider or a pusher? Oh, I got a pusher. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm too. I'm too young to to settle in for the rider just yet. <laughs> <laughs> as I, much as I want to. <laughs> I have a pusher, and we. We own uh, just over a half acre, and it's like so borderline. It's like I kind of want a rider. Like it takes about a little over two hours to do it with a pusher. So, but then my front yard has all these obstacles in it from the previous owners, like little gardens that have borders, you know, wooden borders around it. I, I don't know. So I got to go through those. I just wish I could do it in a clean grid. But anyway, look look at that. We're giving one more takes. Um, standings real quick. Uh, the Red Sox are in third place. The Tampa Bay Rays still looking pretty unbeatable or untouchable, I should say, as far as the division lead. Uh, 29 and nine and the Red Sox are seven games behind them. New York Yankees still in sole possession of last place. Um, but still four games above 500. What a, what a beast this division is. So. Yeah. Can't go wrong with that. And you know, you're going up against the defending world champs. You get a series split against that roster. Um, you'll take it. And you know, didn't have Devers in the lineup today, but no Devers, no problem, at least for the most part. Bullpen holds it down, and Kenley Jansen makes makes history, gets his 400 save, and proves to be a safe bet out of that bullpen. Speaking of betting, attention Massachusetts and Connecticut listeners, we have an awesome limited time promo for new DraftKings users. Deposit and place a $5 wager on any sport to get 
$150 of free money instantly added to your account and bonus bets, win or lose. All you have to do is use our code BASTARDS at sign up to redeem. Using our code BASTARDS is a great way to support the pod. So if you don't yet have a DraftKings account, do us a solid and sign up with the code BASTARDS and place that first bet. New customers only, 21 plus, and physically present in Massachusetts and Connecticut. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-327-5050. Valid one offer per customer. Minimum $5 deposit and $5 wager required. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bets and expire seven days after being awarded. See full terms at DraftKings.com. All right. So with that, we're going to get into the show. And it's going to be a little bit different this week because it's kind of a weird week for the Red Sox. They had an off day on Monday, off day on Thursday. So we only had a two-game series. We typically do our, you know, we like to call it the five reasons why. Either they won or lost a series, but with a series split, decided to change it up a little bit. So we're going to cover all bases here. We're going to do just the five most impactful players, either positively or negatively, on these uh, two games with the Atlanta Braves. So we'll cover everything here, and we're going to start at number five. And Terry, who are we going to start with? Uh, before I do start, I just want to note that I think this is the only two-game series uh, besides the next one with Atlanta. Every interleague series is three games, and I've never seen a two-game uh, American League series, so uh, should be just one more. But we'll lead off the top five this week by going with Masatake Yoshida. Went 0 for 9 on the series. Uh, second game uncharacteristically had two strikeouts. A couple of his streaks came to an end with this. He hadn't swung and missed at a baseball all month long. And uh, in his, I think it was his second bat against Charlie Morton, uh, whiffed three straight times on uh, sliders on the outside. And, um, is what it is. Uh, the hitting streak also came to an end. I didn't think this would be the series where that would happen. Um, we've had Charlie Morton's number, uh, you know, in, in recent years. I think he gave up a six spot to us in his one start in 2022. Uh, and then... We thought I thought we were getting Schuster or uh, Dodd in game two. It ended up being a bullpen game, but uh, just not a great series for him. He was 0 for 5 uh, in game one, 0 for 4 game two, stranded seven or eight base runners. So is what it is. Uh, he probably won't make the list uh, like this too often, but he had to cool down sometime, I figured. Probably true. Uh, Micah, any thoughts on Yoshida? Yeah, I almost got to the point because we haven't seen him swing and miss um, recently that it was almost shocking to see him swing and miss uh, because he's been such a good contact hitter. Um, I mean, prior coming into this game, he still had a higher walk rate than K rate. So, I mean, that'll probably flip-flop now but uh, just briefly. Um, but... 
not concerned, just a bad series, but um, didn't didn't see him drive the baseball like we had um, for the last, well, what was he on, a 16-game hit streak. So, I mean, he was just consistently driving the baseball um, to all fields. Uh, he kind of was swinging and missing, grounding the ball out, um, just something we haven't seen. So, um, tough, tough series for him. Um, day off tomorrow. And then hopefully seeing that green monster um, – reminds him to keep going the other way and he'll get rewarded. Yeah, generally I agree. I think it's just a, a bad two games for him. And it was just kind of a weird glimpse back into early April Yoshida that everyone was kind of, you know, in panic city about, but uh, I think we can all agree. He's probably going to just turn it around and should have a good weekend against uh, the Cardinals and, and what's going on with their pitching, especially and being back at home, like you said, being back at Fenway, think he likes playing there so you know weird two-game blip but he should be fine um so moving on we'll get into some of the uh more positives here uh terry who we got coming in at number four uh two in a row for me i am going with jaron duran who just again just looks more and more like a bona fide major league baseball player and I you're going to get Duvall back at some point, and I don't know how you take his bat out of uh, Duran's, <laughs> excuse me, Duran, tripping over myself. I don't know how you take his bat out of the lineup. And what I liked especially about this series is that he was coming off of a pretty bad one with, um, I forget who he played last. He was one for 11 in that series. And um, didn't have a ton of strikeouts, so that was nice to see. But I spoke on the last show on it's important to see that he can turn it around quickly without going on a a really uh, prolonged slump. And tonight, in a big spot in the uh, seventh or eighth inning, huge leadoff double. It just feels like every hit he has in a huge moment is just an automatic two bagger. And he's tied uh, with the lead with the Red Sox right now in doubles. I think with Devers, don't quote me on that. Uh, no, actually I think it's Verdugo now that I think about it. So those two are tied, um, you know, at the top of the Red Sox. And I like what I'm seeing. I like what I'm seeing. I like the approach It came out this week that the one guy who worked with him the most this past winter was Dustin Pedroia, you know, just simply on his hand positioning. So um, he's been phenomenal. He's been phenomenal. And he gets some Ellsbury comps. And uh, Ellsbury was always a high on base guy, a 350, 360 on base guy perennially. Um, I don't know that Duran will be able to quite match that pace, but but man, I mean, y- you talk about a team with not a lot of outfield depth, and having him for the next five or six years, if if he can basically, you know, hit at this clip, you know, what more could you ask for? You got Yoshida for the next five. You could have Verdugo if he gets his extension. So just liking what I'm seeing from Duran. Micah. 
Yeah, I really can't argue with much of that. I, I was wondering how the response would be coming into Atlanta um, after a tough series in Philly. And, you know, right away he takes the first pitch he saw in Atlanta, lined it into left center. And I think that has been the biggest thing is his willingness to use entire field. You know, I mean, with the shift limitations, it is easier to pull the ball more and get a, a higher batting average. But if you're really trying to um, hit for a high average in the big leagues consistently, you have to utilize the entire field. And he's been willing to do that. And it, it I, I don't know why he would change anything that he's doing. Like, keep using the left field, especially playing half your games at Fenway Park. That is a lefty's dream. Um, and I think everything just seems to be clicking for him and defensively. I mean, you just see the growth and the confidence, you know, he's, his routes are better. Um, he's throwing to the correct base, which it seemed like last year he would just try to make the impossible throw and he's just not doing that. And I, I think the game is slowing down for him, um, which is, I mean, you hope that happens for a prospect, but you just never know if that is going to be the case. But with him, it, it certainly seems that the adjustments he has made are sustainable. I don't think we're going to obviously see a, a guy hit 370, um, but can he hit 270 to 280, 290 and have a, a 330 OBP? I mean, with his speed, uh, that's that's a dream scenario right there to get him on base at a high, high rate because – I mean, you saw that double. I mean, that was incredible. He he made that. How many guys in the big leagues are going to turn that line drive in the left field into a double? That was – there's not many in the big leagues because he has that elite speed. So, I mean, I, I'm all on board with Duran. Yeah, I agree. He's become a catalyst for this offense. And given where Duran was at certain points last season, I don't think any of us could have predicted we would be saying that. Um, here in May in 2023, but he is, he's an important part of that lineup. And, you know, Terry, you mentioned it earlier with Duvall kind of making his way back at some point, the Red Sox are going to have a problem at some point, a good problem to have, but a problem in that they're going to have four outfielders that they're going to want to play every day. Um, and they're going to have to find room for him. And Duran is making that difficult and the rest of the lineup is too, but Duran was sort of the guy that early on when he was called back up, we thought, okay, well, we'll see what he does. But, you know, we all were sort of itching to get Adam Duvall back. Now it's like Duran's making that choice a little more difficult because with his speed and and the way that he approaches the plate now, um, it it's no surprise to me that Dustin Pedroia has been working with him a lot because he does bring at that sort of Pedroia hustle to the game. Um you know, that, that base hit today that he turned into a double. I mean, he slid so hard that he took the base out of the dirt, you know, and kind of picked it up and flexed with it, which was a, a pretty cool moment. But, yeah, he's he's playing his ass off, and, you know, it's yielding results. And I agree that coming off a tough series against the Phillies, you know, you get the day off, but then you've got to go face the Braves, another tough matchup. Um, he delivered, and he, he was a catalyst again for this offense in these two games. Um so hopefully he, he keeps it up. And again, like the too many outfielders thing, yeah, it's it's going to be tough, but that's a good problem to have if you're a contending team, which the Red Sox now are. So I don't hate it, Terry. Yeah, so a couple of things here. 
Duran has a, you know, basically a four to one strikeout to walk ratio. Um, so in a perfect world, I mean, that would, that gap would, would shrink a little bit. Um, he did draw a walk, uh, tonight, um, in one of his at bats. Second thing I wanted to point out is when we're talking about just to keep Duran in the lineup here. With Casas sort of reemerging, and I don't want to say he has reemerged because we're not all the way there yet, but he he is starting to string together some hits. I think he has a 19 or 20 game on base streak going right now just because he's a walk machine. But if that bat heats up and he starts getting on via the hit, man, you it gets even more complicated because if he sucks... If Casas sucks and stays inconsistent, you can solve the Duran thing in the outfield by putting Duvall at DH and then Justin Turner at first base. And and that, for the most part, would be your everyday lineup. But but if Casas heats up, man, that's a lot of problems. That's a lot of excruciating decisions for the Red Sox front office. It really is, um, because I thought a month ago, you know, when Duvall first got hurt, it was either going to be a quick trip up for Duran, and he wouldn't have really improved, and he'd be the easy guy out. Or, you know, the last couple of weeks, I thought, you know, if Casas doesn't wake up, I know nobody wants to see him get sent down because he's, you know, supposed to be your big stud prospect. But if he didn't pick it up, that was sort of the obvious thing, right? Like you said, Justin Turner can play first base. And, hell, you can have a rotating DH. You know, hey, Yoshida's legs are a little tired. Okay, put him at DH today and put Duvall in center and, you know, Duran in left, whatever you wanted to do. But, you know, you could have done that. But now with Casas heating up and maybe it's because Casas heard the footsteps and heard the rattle of, you know, Duvall's out of the cast and he's, you know, he hasn't swung yet, but he's going too soon. Maybe he sort of went, oof, I got to pick it up because my spot in this lineup isn't guaranteed. Um, it's again, it's a good problem to have because everyone's motivated to stay in the lineup and everyone's playing like they're motivated. So, you know, the, the Duvall injury, it sucked when it first happened, but everything that has happened since has been nothing but positive for the Red Sox lineup. Um, and it's, it's a big reason why they are suddenly finding themselves in a contending position. So great to see. And Jaron Duran is, is a huge part of that. Um, so moving on to number three on the list, a big part of these two games, uh, Micah, who comes in at number three, uh, the back end of the bullpen comes in at number three. And I mean, I I don't want to say this, but I want to say it because I'm afraid if I say it, then I'm going to jinx them. But the back end of the bullpen, I feel like I can almost put my blood pressure medication away because I feel so they're specifically Winkowski, Martin, and Jansen. Um, I mean, when they come in the game, it's it's almost lights out. I mean, you look at their overall ERAs. Winkowski has a 1.5 ERA. Martin has a 1.64. And Jansen has a mind-boggling 0.77. So, I mean – if the if the rotation can somehow just improve a little bit and you can find a way to get the back end of the bullpen into the game, I feel like you have to feel really confident that 
this team is going to win most nights when those two of those three, or even if you get three out of three, I mean, you, you got to feel confident that those guys are going to hold the game right where it is and give the offense a chance to win. Um, they've been fantastic. I mean, I, I also want to give a little credit. Bernardino has been really, really good uh, for the most part in, in long stretches. Um, even those um, low leverage situations, if you don't have to constantly go to other guys to get those outs, like we've seen with Brazier, I mean, Brazier can't get two outs at a time or even three outs at a time, you know, then you have to go through another arm and it just kind of has a ripple effect on the rest of the series. So if you can, if you can save those big horses at the end of the game and keep them fresh, it's a great, um, it's a great uh, anchor for this team um, for the rest of the season. You got to keep them healthy. Um, but I feel very confident when either of those three come into the game. The rotation, uh, excuse me, the bullpen is the one safe area. You know, I, I felt good about all winter. And the, the one X factor for me was John Schreiber. If he can give you most of what he gave you last year, and then Jansen's his solid self, and then, you know, Martin does what he does in the second half last year with the Dodgers, that's a great. That's a great back end. And Josh Winkowski's emergence has been, you know, a revelation and just a very welcome surprise, you know, to the cast of characters you already have. Let me ask you guys this. Like, how does your trust tree fall in terms of the bullpen? if you're top three, I guess we can go Jansen. I think we'd all agree is number one. Number two for me is actually Winkowski. That's the guy I want in a big spot. I just, he's been so steady, so consistent. And and then after that, I, I would probably go with Martin in my top three. My only skepticism on him is I, I think he's prone to contact. He did have three strikeouts uh, in, in the game two tonight. Uh, he did give up a hit. I thought he had struck out the side, but, um, but he, obviously I, I'm not worried about him, but I just feel like he, he might get hit around here and there, but I don't know where, where are you guys on that? As far as your top three goes. So I think mine's similar to yours, but I would flip-flop Winkowski and Martin. I still trust Chris Martin a little bit more as your eighth-inning guy as the bridge to Jansen because that's what he's done. Um, he That's why you went out and signed him because he was an eighth-inning guy, and he's been a proven eighth-inning guy. The Winkowski emergence is incredible. And I, you know, I certainly do trust him. I still put him third in the trust tree, but you know, is he ready to be an eighth inning guy? Is he ready to like, would you have been as confident with Winkowski facing Acuna, Riley, Olsen, you know, the way that Martin had to do tonight? I, I don't know if I would have been as confident. I was glad it was Chris Martin in that spot and not Winkowski. So I think he can get there. I think Winkowski is is continuing to improve and develop and turn himself into a really valuable bullpen arm, but I just don't think he's all the way there yet. Um, 
So that that's kind of where mine would land. Mike, I don't know about you, but go ahead, break the tie. <laughs> um, I, I would go obviously Jansen one who was throwing 99 miles per hour tonight. I mean, can you, that is insane with him throwing as many innings as he has. I, I couldn't believe I saw 99 on the gun, but obviously he's one. Um, I'm going to go Martin two and then Winkowski three. Um, I think Martin, since he's come back from that little IL stint, he's been, it, it's been a much different pitcher than we saw in the first uh, two, three weeks of the season. He just, the velocity seems up a little bit and the slider just seems so much sharper. Um, Winkowski, I have him at three because I, I really prefer him more in a, I still really like him in a multi-inning role. Um, I think he has the ability to get more than three outs. Um, so I don't really love him as just slotting him in in that eighth inning role. Not to say Cora would do that, because um, I do think Martin is the eighth inning guy. But I think Winkowski, if you need him to to get you out of a bases loaded jam in the sixth, why not use him? He just he's a he's kind of like Whitlock was um, in 2021, where he's kind of that. Yeah, you have a tough spot. All right, you have him to you go to Winkowski and you get out of the situation. I have that much confidence in him. Um, but I, I think Martin, based on experience, I like him in a in a, a later later uh, game high leverage role, just a little bit more. And keep in mind that this bullpen has reinforcements on the way. Joely Rodriguez is going to be activated the next couple of days, and that gives you a power lefty out of that bullpen that you really haven't had yet. Flyers not not a power pitcher. Bernardino's like somewhere in between, but. It, Joey Rodriguez can throw in the upper 90s when he's right. Um, so that's going to be a big piece coming back. It's hard to disagree with the alignments, you know, Martin versus Winkowski. I do want to point out one thing about Winkowski, you know, perhaps to keep an eye on. Uh, well, two things, rather. He has pitched the most innings of anybody out of the bullpen yet. He's pitched uh, 24 innings. Uh, comparably, um, Schreiber's at 16.2. Martin, only 11, but he was injured for a little while. Where is Jansen? Right here. Well, Jansen's only pitched 11 and, and two-thirds as well, but he hasn't had quite as many opportunities. But but what impresses me here about Winkowski, he's got the lowest whip on the team, 0.92. Gives up fewer hits and walks, so... Just want to throw it out there, and um, let me ask one thing real quick. I I keep pulling us off topic. If Winkowski came up, say, in the Tampa system, don't you think he probably would have been brought up like exactly how they're utilizing him this year? You know, a couple of long relief appearances. If that goes well, move him into the opener role. If that goes well... Start getting, start trying to get four or five innings out of him. It just feels like that's that's the pathway for a lot of Tampa pitchers, and I'm just wondering, like, as much of a stud as he's been, like, has the book completely been closed on him as a starter? I don't think so. No, I I wouldn't completely close the book, and that's why I don't worry about his innings pitch too much because I sort of agree with Micah that like I ideally he's pitching multiple innings every time out. Now he is sort of turning into a one inning shutdown guy when you need him to be, but I don't think the books close on him potentially 
being a starter. Um, I just don't think there's any room for him right now. You've already got six guys in there. Um, so I, I think right now they're sort of just letting him develop, letting him kind of come into his own. But I do still think they can stretch him out. Um, I think if he had come up in the Tampa series, I mean, you want to talk about worrying about innings pitch, they would have burned him out already. Uh, that's what Tampa does. You come up, you show a little bit of flash, and and they'll run you into the ground. He'd be pitching every night if he was in Tampa. So I don't mind the way the Red Sox are handling him right now. He's been a valuable part of that bullpen, and I still think that there is a chance for him to be a starter. Maybe not this year, but next year and, and years going forward, I could see it. And, and just for the record, I don't think it would necessarily be this year, but He's young, and you know, if he can just refine what he's doing now, I, I could certainly see him, uh, you know, getting another shot at it. Micah, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I think with Winkowski, if we're talking starter, I think it comes down to does he have a third pitch? Um, coming out of the bullpen, you're seeing the lineup you're seeing the hitters essentially one time based on how they've used him. I don't know if we've really seen anything more than a fastball slider combination. Um, If you go into the rotation, you're going to need three pitches most likely to get through a lineup multiple times. And maybe he has a a splitter change that he can develop or he he's been working on, but doesn't really need to be used right now because he's just dominant with a fastball slider. Um, But that, that third pitch, it seems to be if you have it, you have a real shot at being a starter. But if you don't have it, there's no chance you can you can throw more than you know two three innings one time through the order. So um, I would probably need to to see more more spring training starts where he is working more. Um, but I think you kind of enter the same territory with with Whitlock because. He's so good in that role, but do you want to see what you have as a starter, or do you just want to keep a guy who's a lockdown reliever and say we're going to build the best bullpen in the baseball, and we'll try to you know just get to the fifth inning, and then we're just going to come at you with you know power arm after power arm. That's kind of what Tampa's done, and it, it's worked for them. I'm not saying the Boston Red Sox should be the Tampa Bay Rays, but. Um, it, the starting pitcher in, in today's game is it's changing and there's very few teams that have guys who can go seven plus innings. So Winkowski, I, I really like him in the pen. I think his, his pitch mix is perfect to be a, a, a an elite reliever. Two things real quick. Uh, I just saw a nugget from Ian Brown, Red Sox beat writer tonight's 99 mile an hour. Fastball from Jansen. That's his fastest since 2016. <laughs> so fastest in seven years. He's 35 now, was uh, apparently 28 when that happened. And then just a quick nugget on Whitlock. He's scheduled to throw a sim game tomorrow and then I think a rehab start this weekend. So he could be back conceivably, I'm guessing, by late next week unless they want to have a couple of rehab starts. But um just more to uh get into <laughs> as far as the rotation yeah yeah it'll be cert- certainly be interesting to see what happens with Whitlock uh as he makes his way back um and speaking of pitching um 
going to move to the number two spot. And as we sort of teased at the beginning of the show, um, it wasn't all sunshine and roses, these two games. Um, there was a pretty bad uh, pitching outing that happened on Tuesday, courtesy of Nick Pavetta, who comes in at number two on our list. Uh, it's actually funny because Nick Pavetta was on our top five reasons why they won last week because he pitched really well in that finale of the Toronto series. And I'm pretty sure as we were talking about him, we said, you know, it's Nick Pavetta. You never know. He could get blown up his next time out. Well, sure enough, he uh, he made that true um, on Tuesday. Just gets absolutely lit up for seven runs. Uh, takes the Red Sox right out of the game. Bad start for him. Um, faced the music after the game as well. Got a little snippy with the reporters. Um, just a, Just an ugly start from Nick Pavetta, and this is who he is. You know, he's good one game, he's awful the next. Um, is he ever going to be a great, you know, frontline starter? No. He's a back-end starter. He's a number five guy who's, you know, borderline MLB starter. But this is what you get. This is the Nick Pavetta experience. We, we talk about it all the time. He's good for six innings, a couple of home runs given up, He'll strike out six or seven guys, and you just hope that he limits the damage to, you know, four runs or less. Because with this offense, that's all you need. Just, you know, keep them in it, and you can give the team a chance to win. He didn't do that on Tuesday. Got absolutely lit up. The Red Sox uh, couldn't catch up. So just an awful start from him. Um, and, you know, he'll get another start. I mean, that's, you know, we, we know that, but... Is, are we going to get good Nick Pavetta or bad Nick Pavetta? You just, at this point, you might as well flip a coin because um, you just never know with him. Uh, Micah, what are your thoughts on Pavetta? Watching that start, it it felt like a pitcher who knew he couldn't locate the ball the way he needed to against an elite offense, and he didn't have the stuff to beat them if he missed location, so he was just nibbling and hoping he could get them to chase and essentially get themselves out. I mean, it, it, that first inning was dreadful. I think Micah might have frozen. I mean, it was four nothing before the Red Sox. Can you? Am I frozen? Ah, uh, you're good now. Okay. Yeah. Um, but with with Pavetta, I mean it. it it was four nothing before they had a chance, and he never gave them. A, he never allowed the offense even a shot. When you're down four nothing, and then they get you a run, and then you give it right back. I mean, he just didn't attack zone. Um, it, it feels like with Pavetta, he's gonna either give you a good start or he's gonna get absolutely shelled and not give the team a chance to win that day. And that's not a recipe that this this rotation can really afford because they just have so many question marks in the rotation. Terry. Like Micah just said, I mean, you're going to go through runs like this with Nick Pavetta. That's who he is. And it's painful right now because we need Pavetta to sometimes carry this rotation. And he can't he can't always do that. And I think I gave this take last week or something like 
Nick Pavetta would have been awesome on the 2018 team or the 2013 team at the back of the rotation with a lot of stable, reliable guys in front of him. And that's just not the case this year. So it's, it's really, it's tough to watch, you know, especially when he's, he's not locating his, his walks are seem to be a little bit higher this year. I, I don't have the stats in front of me and he's just getting crushed. He's just getting absolutely crushed when that curveball doesn't, you know, break the way it's supposed to, you know, he's kind of a North to South guy and they're just going to launch ones on him. And a lot of defiance at the end of the game. He was simply asked straight up, you know, if, if they thought he was going to the pen, you know, if he felt like tonight's start, you know, could, you, you know, could cause the team to pivot and put him there. And he goes, this is a direct quote. He says, I don't really understand what you're saying, but I'm just going to continue to go out there and do my job. I've started for this team my whole career. I'm not, and I'm going to continue to do that. By the end of the year, I'm going to continue to do that. Then next year, and the next year, and so on. <laughs> so he's not really looking at a at a demotion. And I mean, he did pitch for the Phillies, so that's part of his career. Um, he did sort of lose his job at, you know, at the end of the 2021 season. And he had some brilliant long reef, long relief performances out of the bullpen that year for us, which was just absolutely clutch. So, um, we'll see, but I think the best case for everybody is Nick Pavetta has a fire under him right now, and he's going to go out there and, and be really sharp his next few times out. Hopefully that's what it's going to be. If he's going to get torched again, I don't know. He he does have the luxury of a lot of other guys getting torched on a given night. So so there's that as well. Yeah, go, going back a few years, it's a good thing that Haim gave up two relievers who I'm pretty sure both of them are now out of baseball for Nick Pavetta. Because can you imagine if he had given up like anything of real value or like a real prospect for Nick Pavetta, every one of these starts, we would be losing our minds. Um, but he gave up Brandon Workman and Heath Hembry, who, like I said, at Workman, I know is done. Hembry, I thought was hanging on with the Reds at some point. I think he might be done now too. He I'm might be sure. with Tampa. I'm pulling it up right now. Oh, see, that's right. He is with Tampa. Okay. I think. Yeah. I don't know if he's necessarily on the 26 man. Let's yeah, see. I don't I don't know if he made the cut or not, but he's had one game, so I, I don't know when that was. Oh, good for him, I guess. He's hanging on. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that'll that'll wrap it up for Pavetta. Um, we'll see what he does his next start. But on to I think the best positive of, of these two games and coming in at the number one slot, Micah, who's number one. Number one, I think, was probably the biggest surprise of the series, too, was Brian Bayo. I mean, he was absolutely fantastic tonight against what I think is the best offense in baseball. I mean, six innings pitch, six, uh, six hits, two earn, one walk, which is the big one because he's had some control issues with if you want to blame the fingernail or whatever, but only one walk and then five, K, uh, five strikeouts. So that's a huge performance. First time he's pitched into the sixth inning this year. Um, 
in the first five innings, he didn't give up a run. Or did he give up a run in the in the fifth? I'm trying to think. He did he give up a home run? I can't gave remember. Up, I, think that was, I think that was the bomb to Acuna. Was I think it was, but in the first five innings, he was 13 of 18 in first pitch strikes, 72%. So, I mean, that that's what he needs to do is attack because he has such good stuff. Um, don't get behind and then become predictable. And then in that sixth inning, he was two of five in first pitch strikes, and he got hit around a little bit. Um, I was a little surprised to see Cora um, stay with him there. I thought he might have, you know, given him a little quick hook after the the, the hit to start the inning. Um, but he battled um, six innings to earn against that lineup. I think you would take that with any pitcher. And with Bayo, I think he, I mean, it's another guy making a case this time in a good way for how do you take him out of the rotation? I mean, I know we'll talk about that um, at another podcast, but I mean, that, that he he has the stuff. I mean, if you want to just compare Bayo and Pavetta, the two performances, it looked like Bayo had a real chance to compete against that lineup and have success. And Pavetta, it, he didn't look like he belonged on the field against that, that lineup. So it, it's just, it was two polar opposites. And I mean, the sky is the limit for Bayo. I mean, he has a lot to still develop, but you can just see the potential and he's starting to figure it out. And I mean, that's somebody that I don't, I don't know. I know we're going to talk about it, but I don't know how you send him down to AAA with that stuff. Cause he's got the best stuff out of any, any starter in my opinion. So the next show, uh, the leadoff segment is going to have a lot of starting rotation talk, especially with Paxton coming back. So um, that's going to be a pretty loaded show as far as that goes. Normally it's three topics. This one will probably just be two. Uh, but uh, as far as Bayo goes, I mean, his steps forward are incremental. I mean, he hasn't looked terrible in any start. He's He hasn't had a Nick Pavetta start yet, uh, you know, for lack of a better term. Um, I noticed the first time through the order tonight, it, it was mostly fastball change up. And then the second time through, you know, he started mixing in a slider away or a sweepers as they're calling it. Um, so it, it was kind of cool to see him make those adjustments and then get some swings and misses on those. And those were mostly to righty batters, I, I should say. Um, but he's battling and when there's traffic on the bases, he isn't rattled. He, he keeps his composure on the mound and that's important in a hostile atmosphere. I know this one was in Atlanta, but um, you want to see that you absolutely want to see that he can uh, not only handle the moment, but make the adjustments. Uh, there were some deep counts, especially in the first inning. I think he got three straight ground ball outs to Kike Hernandez. Uh, every single one of those counts was full. So, you know, there's still going to be some tweaking, a little bit of refinement here and there. Uh, he's probably only 80% of a, of a finished pro product at this point. But, but that was a scary lineup. I mean, when you're, when you're facing guys like Matt Olson, Ronald Acuna, um, the third baseman there, uh, Austin Riley, uh, even even guys like Ozzy Albies. I mean, you're, that's a that lineup is a test, and and I, I think he passed. Yeah, I mean, it's one of, if not the best lineup in baseball. Probably is the best lineup in baseball, and 
especially early on, the ball was just jumping out of his hand. I mean, it just looked like he, he was just ready for the moment and um, he, he was blowing guys away. It, it was really impressive to see. And, you know, we, you go into Atlanta, you face that lineup, and one of your few mistakes is you give up a 470-footer to Ronald Acuna. I mean, there's pitches around the league going, yeah, join the club. I mean, he's Ronald Acuna is one of the best players in all of baseball, and he's on an absolute tear so far this season. So I think Bayo can be forgiven for that one mistake, and at least nobody was on base. So um, it didn't really come back to bite you. I, I was glad to see him battle a little bit there towards the end. I do agree. Like, I was surprised that Cora stuck with him, but maybe that was Cora's way of saying, no, like, you you can do it. Like, battle through it. You know, you're, you're capable. Um, you know, trying to instill that confidence into a young starter, which is good to see because Brian Bale is going to be part of your rotation, at least for the foreseeable, you know, distant future. So you should instill some confidence in him. And um, the more confident he gets and the more starts he gets under his belt, the better he's going to be. So it's been really fun to see this kid develop and, you know, to see him back up here in the majors, um, putting on performances like this it really does give you a lot of hope for what future starting rotations can be for this team um, with him being a big part of it. So great start from him. And, um, you know, he was a big reason why you were able to seal up the win today. So it was awesome. Any other thoughts on Bale before or anything else before we move on? I'm good. All right. Well, we will... With that, we'll move on to the weekend series. The Red Sox will be going back home starting on Friday. They'll be hosting the St. Louis Cardinals. Terry, what's been going on in St. Louis? Well, I was just trying to pull some of that up right now. Their offense is not um, overwhelming, uh, you know, 12th best in the league. So it's not one that, uh, you know, outside of the obvious, um, you know, Arenado, Goldschmidt, not something we, we should be too concerned with uh, compared to some other teams. Certainly not Tampa or Baltimore anyway. Uh, pitching, I think, is where they have gotten utterly destroyed. They have the 21st ranked uh, pitching rotation uh, collectively, a uh, 4.64 ERA. Um, they've had some controversies this season uh, with the manager and Tyler O'Neill kind of calling him out publicly. That's not something you want to see, uh, regardless of how things are going. Uh, ideally, those would be behind closed doors. And I think coming into this series, we're, we're catching them kind of at the right time, you know, for the starters we're going to face. So, uh, Micah, we'll lead you off. Uh, how do you see game one going? That is on Friday night, 7.10 p.m., and that is Adam Wainwright versus James Paxton. So a couple of wild cards in there. Yeah, I mean, I, is there a more disappointing team in baseball than the St. Louis Cardinals? I mean, I, I feel like they probably are – they probably earn that spot because – I mean, 13 and 25 in the bottom of the central when you have the the Cincinnati Reds in that division. I mean, yeah, just mind-blowing. Um, but as, as for game one, I just don't know what to expect from Paxton. I think that is a complete wild card. Um, he's 
had some better starts in the minors um, in terms of earn run wise, but the walks have really been an issue. So, I mean, I, I could see a scenario where he walks four guys in the first inning. Um, I, I think he's catching the right team. I think you could, you know, I'd much rather have him starting against the St. Louis Cardinals as opposed to the Atlanta Braves. I mean, could you imagine if they would have done that? I mean, obviously I don't think they would have, but I mean, that would have been a, a headache to think about. So, I mean, Paxton, complete unknown. Um, I mean, does he even make the start? Does he finish the start healthy? I, that's a that's a real concern I have. Um, and I think it's warranted based on the fact that the last two years, how, how they've gone. I mean, you just don't know. As for Wainwright, I can't believe he's still pitching in the big leagues. He's, I believe, 40 years old. Um, he's old. He's got a, a 7 720 ERA. Um, I, I think the, this offense should have a field day. I say whatever the over is in this game, bet it. Yeah, I, I agree with Micah. For you DraftKings people, um, hammer the over in this game. Whatever, whatever the run total is set at, just hit the over. This could be, between these two, it could be a nuclear first inning um, because – Adam Wainwright is an absolute mess this year. And James Paxton, I have no idea what to expect. I know people are all excited about his velocity, but I look at the fact that he doesn't have command right now. He's walking guys in AAA. And like Micah said, it's like the last time we saw him was spring training. He threw 19 pitches before he went down. So, I mean, what if he throws four and grabs his hamstring again? Or he throws six pitches and grabs his shoulder? Like, you just have to plan for that with James Paxson because, you know, certain like people on our podcast have trust issues with different players. I know Chris Sale is a big one for a lot of people. James Paxson is mine. I don't trust James Paxson as far as I could throw him. And he's, what, 6'6 six, six something, so I can't <laughs> throw him very far. Um, this is going to be a slugfest, but I do think the Red Sox are still the better team. I agree that – you know, at least for Paxson, he's catching the Cardinals at the right time. They're an absolute train wreck right now. Um, they had, like you mentioned, the controversy with Tyler O'Neill. Now they're having controversies with Wilson Contreras, their supposed big prize from the offseason, and they don't even want to play him a catcher. So that's going well. Um, the, the Cardinals are a joke right now. If it weren't for Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, they might not even have double-digit wins. So... We're catching them at a good time, so I will take the Red Sox in game one, but it's not because I trust James Paxton. It's because Adam Wainwright and that team are so terrible. The Red Sox will just outslug them. I, and just for the record, I looked it up. Um, Wainwright will be 42 this year. He was born in 1981, so he's uh, one of the few guys in the league still older than me. Um, and then James Paxton, uh, no spring chicken. He's 34 years old, has only pitched one inning in the last four years. Uh, that was opening day 2020, had Tommy John right after. Wainwright, I wasn't aware of it, but he's actually only made one start, and that was against the uh, Detroit Tigers. And when was that? Um, he gave up. Four, uh, that was uh, just last week, or just this week, rather. Um, 
yeah, he gave up four earned runs across five innings, eight hits, didn't walk anybody, struck out five. I, I'm going to trust him a little bit more than I'm going to trust Paxton. And even if Paxton gets tattooed early, I mean, the Red Sox are never out of it. They've had 14 come from behind wins. Um, the Cardinals do have um, kind of a middle-of-the-road bullpen. It's not great. So I don't know that they'll be able to stop the late damage. But I think the I think the Cardinals could pull this one out. So... That's who I'll go with. Game two. This is on, uh, let's see, Saturday afternoon, 4-10 Eastern. Again, this is at Fenway Park. Uh, Steven Matz versus Chris Sale. Micah, who do you have in that one? Um, I'm going the Red Sox. Chris Sale not facing an American League East team. So I think this lineup is is an opportunity for him to have a, another quality start. Um, I hope we see um, a guy who's throwing in the mid to upper 90s again. I, I think he was hiding that in the first couple weeks of the season. But in Philly, he was starting to throw 97, 98, even hit 99. So I think against this, this lineup, I think you got to be careful um, against Arenado and Goldschmidt. But then everybody else, attack, attack, attack. Um, with Mats, a lot of lefties in the Sox lineup could give them a little fit, uh, but I, I I would say the Red Sox take game two. Yeah, I'm also going to take the Red Sox for game two. I, you know, Sale, I'm not all the way there yet on him. He has been lately, um, but I'm not a Steven Mats guy. I, I think that he's um, really just overrated and probably one of the worst signings I've ever seen a team make. Um, and yeah, it, you know, there are a lot of lefties in that Red Sox lineup, but like this could be the perfect ref Snyder game where whoever needs a day off ref Snyder gets in there. He kills lefties, you know, Connor Wong will probably get in there. Um, you know, especially at Fenway park could see him smacking one out again, especially against Mats. So I just think the Red Sox offense right now is, is going really well. I think even if sale has a little bit of a hiccup and gives up a couple of runs, it, it won't bury them. Um, they'll score enough runs to keep the minute. So I will also take the Red Sox for game two. I won't spend a lot of time on it. I think the matchup very, well, I shouldn't say heavily, but, uh, you know, significantly favors the Red Sox. Uh, you know, Sale has, in all but three starts, pitched fairly well. He's grinding it out. Uh, the strikeouts are there. And Matt's has just been kind of a fringe guy for most of his career. You know, he, I think it was, let's see, 2015 uh, on the Mets staff. That was probably his best year. I think he's had one other decent one somewhere uh, since then. But um, I, there's just not anything, anything great uh, about this Cardinals team. They're not good in really any one area right now. It's uh, it's just been a very abysmal start. And like Micah said, I mean, a lot. Of, it's probably the biggest underachieving team in, in MLB right now. He, the Cardinals were a very popular pick for uh, to win the uh, National League Central. So I'll take I'll take Chris Sale on the momentum that he's built up. And uh, it, I don't see why the Red Sox can't put up, you know, six to eight runs here. 
Finally, uh, the series finale. Uh, this is the first ESPN game of the uh, season for the Red Sox, so it will be a night game, a 7-10 start. So feel bad for Cody and uh, Charlie on this one, but this will be Miles Michaelis versus Corey Kluber. Micah, who do you like? Would you believe that Miles Michaelis is going to be the pitcher that has the lowest ERA to start a game in this series at 5.4? That is kind of crazy in the middle of May. Um, just shows how both teams have had such poor starting pitching to start the season. Um, in terms of the matchup, uh, Kluber, I feel like somewhere around five innings, three or four earned runs. I think the Red Sox bats with uh, all the lefties can get to Michaelis. And I would say the Red Sox bullpen um, shoves and picks up Kluber and they win this game and they win the series. Yeah, I'm taking the Red Sox for a sweep. Um, I wow. think that's the first I think it's the first sweep I've predicted all season. So um, but that's how down I am on the Cardinals and Miles Michaelis. He might be the best thing they got going right now in that rotation, which is pretty sad to think about, but he, he's got a whip of 1.6. He gives up a ton of contact. Um, I think he's got like 57 hits surrendered in like 35 innings pitch, something like that. It's, it's not good. Uh, he does not miss many bats and this Red Sox offense should be able to tee off on him pretty easily. So yeah, I, I think Kluber will give you his usual Kluber start of, five, maybe six innings. He'll run into some trouble, you know, somewhere along the way, give up two or three runs. Hopefully that's all it is. If if that's the case, then that's all you need because Red Sox offense should put up a lot of runs against Michaelis. So I will take them for game three and for the sweep. I'm also going to pick the Red Sox here as well, which would give them a two to one series win. But I will say this game's the one I'm the least confident uh, about. Michaelis in his last five starts has given up three earned runs or less. Um, the the one problem area is the walks, are, you know, are a little high, but. Um, I think he's going to be the most effective starter against the Red Sox here. Kluber is just, uh, you know, a complete wild card. If you could guarantee me that Kluber is going to look in this third game in the finale of this series, like he's looked in his last two or three outings, then my confidence, you know, with the Red Sox goes way up. But he last time out he had four walks. I, I felt like he, you know, he he was a little lucky, you know, that he he only gave up two or three runs. Um, so we'll we'll see if uh, you know how he's able to command the baseball. If he's giving free passes, can the Cardinals capitalize on that um, and tattoo him like some of these other teams have? The Twins were the number twenty eight ranked offense, and they put up what a seven spot on him. Something something pretty ugly. So you just never know with Kluber, but uh, I will give the edge to the Red Sox here. All right. So with that, uh, we will wrap things up for this episode. Um, we'll have our round table episode coming out in a couple of days. And then after that, 
The weekend crew will have you guys, and they will be recapping the Cardinals series. So hopefully it goes as, as well as uh, we're all predicting here, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, but until then, everyone have a good weekend, and we'll see you guys later. Take care.